From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, it's a uh, for the summertime, it's a rare twofer. You and I are both on two shows in a row. That's right, and and we're about to uh, kind of record a bunch because it's about to be trade show season and, and summer travel uh, season, and so um, the the next couple of weeks to months will be interesting, but uh, hopefully we've got some really good shows uh, coming up for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've, if you've listened to the show at all, we, we've joked about this before, there's really – there's only th- sort of three constant constants that we've had on this show. One is we usually introduce the show the same way. The second one is that Aaron refuses to build us a new website. And the third one is I give very little interest to uh, just sort of the sound quality of the show, and at least up until now. So, you know, this whole Laurel versus uh, Yanni thing had got me sort of thinking. Um, hopefully, we, we I tried to fix a little bit of the sound here in my studio, so hopefully it sounds a little better. And, and Aaron, there's actually a logical tie into this. We uh, – we had a we we had a show last week uh, or the week before. Uh, we talked about observability, and one of the things we mentioned was Fender guitars and Fender Digital and, and some of the cool things they were doing. Which, again, we were trying to highlight some non Silicon Valley stuff. And uh, the folks from Fender reached out to us and said, "Hey, you know, we would love to come talk to you about what we're actually doing, as opposed to being mentioned as a reference." So we're very lucky today to have Michael Garski, who's director of software engineering at Fender Digital. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. You know, first absolutely, yeah. So, so, so we appreciate you reaching out. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience. Tell us a little bit about your background prior to Fender and and some of the things that you're focused currently. Uh, sure. So, I've been working in tech in Los Angeles since the late '90s. Uh, companies like Fandango and Countrywide Home Loans, and did quite a long stint at MySpace working on search systems, which was my first foray into event-driven programming. And then even stayed with MySpace even through the acquisition after they sold off uh, from Fox into specific media later, Viant, working on ad tech. And then moved into Fender Digital about two years ago, where I lead the platform team. And we're responsible for all the the back-end services that support our mobile web applications, as well as the QA for those services, DevOps team, and our internal data warehouse. Very cool. That's a that's a that's a big breadth of responsibility. But before we dive into that, are you uh, by any chance are you a guitar player working for Fender now? Uh, now I am. Yes, I, I tried learning, attempted to learn in my early twenties, and the guitar went underneath the bed like it does with so many people. And I have been using Fender Play and learning quite a bit recently. Very cool. So, so let's talk about Fender Play. I, you know, when when we were talking about Fender uh, with with Christine from from Honeycomb, I sort of went out and was just poking around the website. Um, we're going to talk about it in the context of serverless because a lot of that platform is built on AWS Lambda. Um, but can you kind of walk us through before we dive into the tech behind it? Kind of walk us through the experience people have with it, and and then what I want to try and do is kind of connect the dots between the things that people see, and then how that connects to the back-end sort of serverless technology. So, Because I know one of the things we struggle with sometimes is serverless always sounds cool on, in theory, and then people go like, oh, what would I use it for, and how do I use it? So maybe you can 
help us connect the dots between you know real life stuff that people can could go touch and see today, and and then what happens in the background. So Fender Play is our digital learning product. It's focused on people that are very much beginners and new to guitar. Uh, to take them from first picking up a guitar to moving into being an intermediate player. Uh, we have several systems that support that, including our own. We have a call it a learning management system, which incorporates lesson data uh, for users that to progress through a path. Now, for our lesson management system, it's all based in AWS Lambda. So we have a we we view a collection of Lambda functions that operate on a given business domain with, say, various inputs such as uh, API gateway events. DynamoDB stream, SNS, we kind of consider that a microservice. So a loose connection of functions. So we do quite a bit with that learning management system. Also, we have a content management system. Our subscription support for managing and creating subscriptions is all Lambda-based. We do have a couple EC2 services uh, that we built when we first started. And then we moved into, started experimenting with Lambda on a smaller scale and then just started embracing it wholeheartedly about a year and a half ago. Okay. And and was this based off of your background of more of an event-driven background prior to coming into Fender Digital? I think it really smoothed the transition into it and really helped understand the power behind it. Uh, when, when I was building search systems at MySpace, getting updates into the system, we relied on polling, which was slow and prone to issues. Uh, when we built the current version of the MySpace site, we used an event bus, uh, Solus, it's an uh, event bus appliance, and we used that for getting updates into the search system. So that right there opened me up to event-driven programming and really seeing the power of it and being able to keep the search system up to date. Uh, in real time as the underlying data was changing. Yeah. It's, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, it's interesting, Aaron. I, I, you know, we, we, we first sort of got in, introduced to the serverless stuff through the A-Cloud Guru people who, you know, in essence, their their business is a learning management system, and then we're seeing yet another example of it there. So it's it's interesting to see how the community uh, – it would be interesting to sort of compare notes between the two of them as to what's similar between them. Um, so let, let's talk a little about the, the challenges of delivering this framework. Um, you know, you mentioned a little bit of, of your ex- previous experience at, at MySpace and event-driven. Like, what were as as you were building out this system, or you were starting to build the system, or evolve the system? Like, what were some of the problems that that led you to say, "Hey, we think um, you know Lambda would be a good fit for for fixing it or improving it." So our, our first Lambda function was a uh, system. So we also, in addition to like Fender Digital, we're a smaller part of a division within Fender Musical Instruments, uh, which we have SAP systems and giant product catalog systems, and we needed to display product catalog data on our website. And that was we were going to be getting an export every day from the uh, PIM team, which handles the product catalog, and they were going to drop it into an S3 bucket. So that right away, that oh, that's easiest. We should just do an S3 event, and then we can process that data and store it so we can retrieve it, and users can search for that data. So that was our first foray into that. And then as we started launching our services, that was in June of 2016. That was when the, the Tuner app first came out, and we had, did custom tunings with that, and we didn't even use Lambda functions with that. We just used API Gateway custom mapping so that the client just interacts directly with DynamoDB through API Gateway. And seeing that our, our traffic levels were 
good. We were happy with them, but in building new applications for, say, a limited audience, such as our uh, connected guitar amplifiers, the Mustang GT and the, the Rumble bass amplifiers, those are or dedicated EC2 instances to support those services just didn't seem to make sense when we knew traffic was not going to be extremely high. So Lambda just naturally fit into that. And the same thing with our learning application. Like we knew that you know growth is going to be slow and we're going to be, be building up into it. It just made sense to go ahead and start with Lambda. And then possibly in the future, should load become such that it makes more sense financially and cost-wise, to move to a more traditional microservice based, we can do that at that time. Yeah, and I, and I know I, I noticed from from looking at the page, um, you know, there, there's things on there that say, hey, if you have a minute available, here's some things you can do. If you have five minutes available, here's some stuff you can learn. Like, can you give us any sense of? I don't know how much you can share, but you know, what do usage patterns sort of look like? I mean, it feels like you've designed the system to sort of have, you know, random usage patterns, but but how much is usage patterns been what you were expecting versus, you know, unusual and, and, and Lambda sort of helps to smooth that out or, or just deal with the un, unexpected? It really helps us deal with the unexpected, such as uh, Christmas Day was massive. Everyone gets their new guitar from underneath the Christmas tree and starts using it and jumps on the site. And so we see a lot of a big increase in traffic on that day and through early January throughout the holidays. And we didn't have to worry about any of it. It was just Lambda would spin up additional containers for us as necessary to handle the load, and it was completely seamless to us. Interesting. And what? And so, so you mentioned that of a yeah. I almost think of that too of a, like gym memberships, right? Like the New Year hits, and everyone goes to the gym, and then everyone kind of trails off, like. Is there a certain amount of like, are you tracking like, okay, what is the stickiness of this of, yeah, you can of course handle the spikes through the architecture, but, but how how many folks are coming back and using this as a long-term learning platform to go from that, hey, beginner, but maybe it ends up under the bed to, hey, beginner and get all the way through intermediate? We're seeing fairly good traction with people sticking around for several months and working through it and going beyond just a one month free trial. There are a few people that even are still paying members that say that started last June when we first launched the service that have been sticking around. Uh, we also have a Facebook uh, group, a, pro- a private Facebook group for people who are vendor play subscribers to chat and talk amongst each other as well. Yeah, very nice. And are you planning to so so you know if we're using Lambda, and 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 obviously you've got kind of you talked about the mobile experience here. Is there plans to go into kind of the voice things like Alexa in, in the future as well? I, I there's always discussion on like how new technologies can benefit our products, and it's just a way of doing something that that makes sense, that makes something easier for the user. But those things are all on the table, especially with leveraging Amazon so heavily with all their new um, machine learning and translation and transcription services that we're working out ways to see how they can benefit our users. Interesting, interesting. So, you know, as as you're as you're kind of going along, you're building this out, you're you're learning what what people want. Like, what are some of the things that um you know, are still struggles in the in the serverless world to be able to 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 build out, or are you you know are you are you not running into struggles, or are there still areas where you're like you know I wish 
serverless would do some things differently to either make life simpler for you or just you know allow you to move off of a, a, a non-serverless system? Um, I think most of our struggles are just based around or things we're grappling with and trying to improve internally are are things based around just like how do we best keep these applications? So we have gone down a path of, say, a, a Lambda function that handles a specific API resource. So the function that performs the get is a different function that performs the put on an object. So that allows us to apply very granular permissions to those Lambda functions. However, we use Go in all of our Lambda functions. We have since uh, the beginning using the Apex framework. And as the number of functions in a project increases, well, that build and deploy time increases. So we're actually looking at potentially, say, with, um, with some of the, with the API gateway invoked functions, actually combining those and using or like a, like a router inside and keeping it more like a when you would think it would be like a traditional microservice and looking at options like that on how we can keep those build times reasonable uh, while still perform, providing performing all the security best practices required yeah and, and can you give us a rough can you give us a rough estimate because I know people are always trying to figure out as they they, they look at they look at an application or look at a framework like and, and they're considering stuff like microservices, like roughly, I mean, how many functions or microservices might be living behind what you experience with, with vendor play? Is it, and I, and I'm asking in the context of not sort of a raw number, but just, you know, you start managing the number of things that you have to be updating and their interdependencies and so forth. I'm just curious kind of how, how much this is, you know, kind of sprawled in terms of number of things you have to keep up with. I would say we have about a, dozen distinct services as we refer to them and they comprise about 250 lambda functions right now and so all our, our functions we use terraform to pre-provision the resources and then just use the aws cli for deployment of deployment of the functions okay Interesting. and and how do you handle versioning control then of say you know if you've got 250 ish functions that's something we're actually looking into at this time, especially for Canary deployments, uh, the new support within AWS Lambda for traffic shaping. Our ops team is looking into what we need to do to modify our processes to take advantage of that so that when we're deploying something to production, we can, say, direct only 20% of events to a new function and remaining to the old one while we kind of monitor and take a look at things before we flip the switch. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Now, so I'll, I'll kind of pull out of the the deep dive into the architecture for a second, and and just ask you this: um, more around subscriptions. So, Fenderplay starts as a free trial, and then it kind of evolves into a paid service. How much did your engineering team, uh, you know, connect with the subscription requirements uh, with your choice of using serverless technologies? Like, did the the fact that you know you're going to have to monetize this at some point did that pay, figure into this architecture discussion at all not really it was it was more of a matter of fact of what is like simplest for us to maintain and operate going forward as opposed to having uh say uh, a business decision impact what was going on on the back end there wasn't much of a connection between that yeah Mm, okay 
Yep. What in terms of in terms of the team that's working on this, yourself and others, you you know, you talked about kind of having some some background and experience around events based applications and so forth. Like, what was your learning curve, or what were some of the things that you used early on to to learn how serverless works, or what was the tools and tricks you used to to kind of get proficient at it? So we have two distinct AWS accounts. We have one we refer to our development environment and sandbox. And then we have one where it's more stable environment for QA and production. Our entire, all the engineers have complete unfettered access into the development sandbox environment when very limited read-only access into QA and production. So they're allowed to spin up resources, deploy applications, play around with new AWS services and build proof of concepts and just try things out and experiment. That's the biggest the biggest piece of this is just sort of kind of wrapping your head around how to create an application in that model. It really takes actually doing it and experimenting with it to do it proficiently. And and how are the teams formed today? Like I'm always interested in the behind the scenes of, okay, is it a, a like a DevOps team? Is it you've got an operations team? Tell, me, tell us a little bit about how you actually form the teams to run this framework. So the platform team is comprised of a, like a group of engineers and a group of DevOps engineers. And we all work very closely together. In fact, we all sit right next to each other. Uh, so that really helps as far as keeping communication open when something is going wrong or we need to get something performed very quickly. Okay, interesting. So it is it is sort of a you write it, you run it, or at least much more of a DevOps style team. There's not like kind of separation of you know distinct silos between them. Interesting. Exactly, and our, our ops team does more than just set up uh, application deployment pipelines. We have a lot of uh, legacy and marketing related things we need. We support as well, uh, as well as a community, keeping network communications open between our systems and that of uh, corporate IT. Interesting. So um, we've dug into this a bunch. Obviously, um, you know, people are, are probably going to follow up and have questions and things. You, you're you actually you've been you've, you know, you've been speaking at some of the AWS events. I know you've been on some other podcasts and so forth. What are some of the things as you dive into those sessions uh, that you typically talk about? What are the what are the learnings that, that you like to share uh, when you're out speaking about this in public? Hey, the big things are. Um Avoiding v- within Lambda, avoiding VPC usage if at all possible. If you're using uh, AWS services such as DynamoDB, uh, AWS Elasticsearch service, there's there's no need to run in a VPC because that will Im- increase your cold start time. And if you're using if you do need to use a VPC, like you say, you need to access an RDS instance. It's very very important to use Lambda concurrency controls. Uh, which limit the amount of concurrent containers running a specific function. We did did a load test in our development environment early on, and we had all of our functions logging directly into an Elk stack because otherwise all the individual functions, they get siloed in CloudWatch. and kind of a pain to see everything all together. And doing, during the load test, we, all the, you know, every container gets spun up and it gets an elastic network interface attached to it. And those ENIs are limited at the account level. And once you run out of them, everything just goes sideways. And functions won't run and errors just go, go through the roof and it takes a while to recover. So that's like avoiding VPC. And if you have to, using concurrency, concurrency controls is a really big one. 
wrapping your head around event-based thinking as well. I, you know, don't poll, only poll if you absolutely have to. Uh, we use a third-party subscription billing provider, and for some reason, their system is not able to call back into us whenever an event happens, so we have to pull for events. So we just do that off a CloudWatch event and a Lambda function. However, all of our other systems, we respond to events that happen internally, such as when a, a user's subscription status changes, either they create their subscription or they cancel their subscription. We can fire event based off of that and then keep our data warehouse up to date as well as our email service provider. Uh, another one would be for uh, asynchronously invoked functions, such as those that are responding to SNS, would be to make sure you have a dead letter queue. Those asynchronously invoked functions, they'll make three attempts without an error, and beyond that, that event will just get dropped, and having a dead letter queue ensures that you're not dropping any messages. So if, say, you're responding to an SNS uh, topic that keeps a third-party service up to date. If that third-party service is having problems, you won't drop those events. They'll just stuck, get stuck in a dead letter queue. And log aggregation and monitoring is, is one that's really important. So being able to see what's happening. As I mentioned, we were initially pumping like each, each function directly into Elk. Uh, we switched that up so that the CloudWatch logs, we actually have subscriptions on them. So there's only a single function that needs to have VPC access. And then that we have a large elk archive, so every single log message gets thrown into there. Uh, but how, however, for most events, we rely on honeycomb.io. So that, that same function that is publishing stuff into elk will actually sample events. So anything with an info level or HTTP 200 will just do one out of every 10. But if it's an error or warning or HTTP 400 and above, those we make sure we publish into honeycomb. The only exception that we don't sample for is subscription management. That's something that's very important. We even want to know like when someone is successful, we need to trace through what's going on. So we don't sample those events. And we found a querying within Honeycomb just makes it so easy to find out what's going on. Interesting. Very, very cool. Wow. That's great. So kind of kind of wrap it up here. Um, Michael, where can everyone find out more about you and what you have going on or, or about uh, Fender Play? Tell us a little bit more about Next Steps for everyone out there. So Next Step for Everyone's, I highly encourage everyone who's interested in learning to play guitar to sign up for Fender Play today. Um, we have a very active Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram accounts as well as, as I mentioned, the Facebook group for people who are Fender Play subscribers to get support. And we do Facebook Live uh, events through there where we'll go over things and uh, to help users along in their journey and learning to play guitar. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, so I'd suggest everyone out there. So, so of course, yeah, if you want to learn guitar, go out to Fender Play. And also, I, just to kind of bringing back a, a cloud guru as well for a second. Um, I got an email from them of they just up, updated their serverless uh, course content this week as well. So if you want to learn serverless, you can go out to a cloud guru. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. so lots of learning on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, listen, thank you so much for the time today. Like we said, it's uh, it's always awesome. I, you know, I'm, one of the biggest requests we get from from listeners of the show is, you know, can you have more 
people that are actually doing this stuff as opposed to sometimes the you know the, the technology vendors talking about it. So first off, thank you for you know reaching out to us and, and letting us know what you're working on, and then and then taking the time today to really dive deep into it. So we're we're very very appreciative of that. Um, listen, folks, with that we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for uh, for Michael and Aaron. Thank you as always for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.